Thanks, Eric. Hey, aren't you grateful for our family ministry team? And we, I'm telling you, yeah. We, we are so fortunate. We are so blessed as a church with, with staff members, with volunteers that love Jesus and love our kids and our students. And man, fantastic morning, huh? I don't know if you guys could see, there was a little cute little girl over here. She was just spinning and twirling. After one of the songs, she goes, that was really good. <laughs> that was really good, wasn't it? It is so good to be together. It's so good to have our kids. It, it, you know, our kids, they, they, they need you. They need your wisdom, your guidance. But I believe that we, we need the next generation. We need, we need their, their zeal, their excitement, their passion, their fervor. For God and their faith. You know, Jesus said, nobody, go, nobody gets into heaven except the person that has childlike faith. And uh, we value our kids here, and it's so good to get to celebrate uh, with all of you this weekend. Uh, for those of you I haven't met yet, or it's been a little while, my name's Todd. I'm another one of the pastors here, and looking forward to spending this time together digging into the truth of God's word for a few minutes. Um, I don't know, as you kind of think back in your life, maybe when you were a kid in your own family of origin, or, or maybe you're, now you're a dad, or maybe you can think back and you were, you're a grandpa, and you maybe recall, like I do, at some points in your family history, someone calling a uh, family meeting. Anybody ever remember, like, a family meeting? Maybe you're the one that, maybe you're the mom or dad, maybe you were, actually, maybe you're the dad that this morning you're like, uh, family meeting, like we're getting ready and we are going to church or, you know, whatever it was. And family meetings happen for a number uh, of different reasons, right? Sometimes uh, a parent calls a family meeting because, man, there's a, they're facing a big move and, and we need to get everybody together and remind them what's happening and tell them where we're headed. Or, or maybe you as a family, uh, you had to have a family meeting because there was a, a loss in the family and it it was a hard family meeting, and you had to share some difficult news. Or maybe for you, uh, you know, you just saw something going on. You're at the zoo, and, you know, the kids are going crazy, and they're hitting at each other, or they're in the back of the minivan yelling and not treating each other well, and you're like, yeah, man, you pulled that van over, and you're like, family meeting. Family meetings are meant to, like, reset our vision, our priorities, remind us like what it's really all about, right? And if it wasn't a family meeting, it might have been a, a family meeting of sorts. Maybe it was a, a staff meeting. It was in your business or, or organization and the boss, or maybe you were the boss and you had to pull everybody together and say, listen, we're not doing that anymore. Hey, listen, this is what we're about here. And hey, listen, this is what's important to this company. Or maybe it was a, a team meeting. And it was with the with the your fellow basketball players or football players or the cheerleading squad or the school band, and someone had to pull everybody together again to reset the vision. This is why we're here. This is what we're about. This is what we're not about. And this is what we're for and what we're going after. Family meeting. All over the course of really church history as a whole. When I say church history, I'm not, I'm just talking about, you know, the chapel as a church. I'm talking about 
church, the global church, the movement of people all over the globe from all time that have put their faith and hope in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Over the course of that church history, there, were, there have been moments where, man, there was disagreement. There was potential disunity. Uh, someone was saying, hey, I think the Bible says this. And another person was saying, well, no, 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 I think the Bible is saying this. And, and because of that threat or concern of disunity over, not, I'm not talking about like sideline issues. I'm talking about core issues of faith, the church would call their own sort of family meeting. They called them councils. And just a little bit of history, if we go back in time, the, the first council of Nicaea was in A.D. 325. And at this council, they discussed the deity of Christ. Like, no, Jesus wasn't just a human being. Jesus was God in the flesh, according to the scriptures. And so they wrestled through that and decided together again, what do we believe about who Jesus was and how do we communicate that to other people? Or the First Council of Constantinople, A.D. 381, the church gathered together because there was some question marks about core issues of faith. They, they talked about how are we going to discuss and share our belief in the Trinity, that, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That happened at the First Council of Constantinople. Or the Council at Ephesus in AD 431. At this council, they talked about the, the personhood of Christ and the doctrine of original sin that, that, that says that, no, we, we aren't all just born into the world as just happy, good people. No, that we're born into this world with a sinful tendency in our own hearts and minds. Core issues of the faith, of the Christian faith, all talked about, discussed, wrestled through, and decided upon, based upon the truth of Scripture, at family meetings. Well, perhaps the most important one was the very first council, known as the Council uh, of Jerusalem. Happened in A.D., 50. And we know a little bit about this particular council because it's recorded in the book of the Bible that we've been studying, the book of Acts, which is really the history of the early church. This was the first time that the church was facing some, some questions about their theology that it was big enough that they said, we've got to call a meeting to reset, reprioritize, recommunicate what it is that we believe, and why we believe it. It's found in Acts chapter 15, if you want to turn in your Bibles there, or if you want to open up your phone to your app, or if you want to just follow along on the screens, you can. And it's in Acts 15 that we come across this first, uh, I guess, issue or question mark that you would call it, and this first gathering, the first council. Now, to set the stage, if you remember, we've been studying through the book of Acts, and uh, Paul and Barnabas were sent out for their first missionary journey from the city of Antioch. They had spent some time there. Uh, the people were gathering and praying and fasting, and they all sensed the Spirit saying that they were supposed to send Paul and Barnabas out. And then we learned about their first missionary journey, and they went. And it, man, it, it didn't seem very successful at first, and it was hard, and the people weren't catching on, and they weren't received like they thought they were going to be received, and they got chased out of town 
But God continued to do some amazing things. And that brings us to Acts chapter 14 at the very end. Before we step into chapter 15, it says, Upon arriving back in Antioch, they called the church together, and they reported everything that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to Gentiles too. And they stayed there with the believers for a long time. So what's happening is Paul and Barnabas, they return from their missionary journey and they're sharing. They're sharing testimonies of how God has reached into the lives of people and not just Jewish people, Gentile people that were coming to real faith in Jesus. And it says in chapter 15, verse 1, that while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men came from Judea arrived, and they began to teach the believers. Now, this was not an uncommon thing. Judea was kind of like a headquarters, so to speak, and, and visiting teachers and apostles would, would travel and, and share truth at the different churches that were being established at the time. And so it says that there was a group that came from Judea, and they started to teach the believers. This group of believers that were in Antioch, and it was a mixture of both Jews who had believed in Jesus and Gentiles who had believed in Jesus. So the question is, well, what were they teaching? Well, the text tells us. It says, They said to the people there, Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, for the Jewish audience that was there, this was all they knew. The Mosaic law, following the rule of God and the rule of the church leaders, which included circumcision. And you can explain that to your kids later. A physical mark, okay, to to show faith. But the question is, they were saying that the Gentile believers needed to keep following the Jewish rules. They were saying, man, the things that we grew up with and that we followed all of our life I know that you say that you believe in Jesus now, but no, no, no. In order to really believe in Jesus, in in order to truly be saved or to be made right with God, it's not just about Jesus. There's some things that you need to make sure that you do. Well, the text goes on, and and it reminds us of something that that, 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 uh, really challenged me. I remember when I was 17, and I went to a little Baptist church, and I first started hearing the gospel of Jesus. And I I can remember being in a Bible study and a lady reading this verse out of the book of Ephesians. And it says, we are saved by God's grace when we believed. It goes on to say, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that no one can boast about it. I remember being confronted with this verse, and it, it wrecked all of my theology, whatever level of theology I had, my understanding of God or religion or how life works or how somebody may, gets made right with God or how somebody can go to heaven. I had grown up my whole life, as I think many people do, thinking, well, as long as the good in my life outweighs the bad, then I'll be okay with God. I was... I was living, even in an unreligious way, just kind of a a works-based faith. Kind of like 
these teachers from Judea were imposing upon the Gentile believers, saying, oh, no, 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 there's something that you need to do to be made right with God. I remember when I went off, so, so, so I, I came to a crisis of faith in my own life, and I turned to Jesus and said, I realize I'll never be able to do enough or be good enough. And that's why you came, Jesus, to die on the cross for me because I could never keep all the rules. That's why you paid the price for all of us rule breakers so that I don't have to earn my way to heaven. And what a, what a relief that was for me. But then I remember going off to Bible college and then I started getting confronted with all kinds of other theology and doctrines and spiritual ideas. And I, I remember getting so overwhelmed and I thought, man, I, I thought I knew what I believed. Like, you just need Jesus and you need to give your life to him. And isn't that like it? And I'm sure that those Gentile believers that were gathered in Antioch now you know, there's teachers coming in and saying, oh, it's not just Jesus. And I, I know you say that you believe in Jesus, but you need to do some things. And they were probably overwhelmed. Well, the text goes on and says uh, they, they continue to challenge the people and to say, listen, unless this happens, you cannot be saved. I mean, this was an issue of faith, an issue of salvation. Like, am I Am I going to heaven one day or not? Am I, I right with God or am I wrong with God? It was a big deal. And it says Paul and Barnabas, they disagreed with them. That is, they disagreed with the ones that were standing up teaching in the synagogue that day, saying you've got to do something in order to be made right with God. And it says they argued with them vehemently. Like, it'd be like I'm up here and all of a sudden somebody stands up and says, no, 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 no Todd, I do not agree. And you know what, if I or any of us ever say something that's contrary to truly the truth of Scripture and the core of the gospel, then you know what, you ought to stand up. Or you, you, ought to better, you better at least pull us aside afterwards and say, hey, wait, I need to ask a couple questions. I need to understand more of what you were saying. And that's what Paul and Barnabas did, and they called them right, out right in the crowd and the, they weren't calling them out, remember this, they were not calling them out about a side issue. They weren't calling them out saying, hey, you can't teach about your politics here, or you, you can't have that position on this or that. They were calling them out on a core tenet of the faith, like how is a person made right with God? And so it says that there are some things worth arguing about or even fighting over. It's fighting for truth. And a, and a proper understanding of the scriptures and what they really are teaching. And so Paul and Barnabas, they take issue with these visiting teachers and call them out. And it says, finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some of the local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. They were going to have a family meeting, a council, the council at Jerusalem. So they send Paul and Barnabas and some of the believers that were there so that they could kind of lean in and listen in and gain an understanding. And they were going to wrestle with the question, what makes a person truly right with God? 
So it says they got there, and it says when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul, they were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. Remember, they had been just on a missionary journey, and so probably word had traveled back to Jerusalem about Paul and Barnabas being out, and, and it says that uh, they reported everything that God had done through them. And so probably the church at Jerusalem, they're just having like a praise and worship service and hearing testimony and, and celebrating what God has been doing amongst both Jews and Gentiles, bringing people to real faith in Christ. And it says, but then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, which was a very uh, legalistic, law-abiding, rule-following group. In fact, not just following the rule of God, but following lots of man-made rules. It says they stood up and they insisted something. They said, well, the Gentile converts, sounds familiar, doesn't it? The Gentile converts, they must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. They're asking the same thing. And it says, so the apostles and elders, they met together to resolve this issue. This was the first council at Jerusalem, the first council ever. And they said, we've got to figure this out. We've got to reset, reprioritize, and know how we're going to communicate truth going forward. Because what's at stake here is our understanding of the very core of faith. So it says, after the, at, the, at the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood up. So we don't know all of the discussion that was happening, but we do know some of what was brought up. And here, Peter stands to address the council that was gathered there that day, wrestling with this question. And it says, after a long discussion, Peter stood and he addressed them as follows. follows. Brothers, he said, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. Peter was saying, listen, you guys are saying to the Gentiles that they've got to do something in order to be made right with God, and you guys all know that God called me to go and share with the Gentiles how they could come to faith in Jesus. He goes on, God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Now, this was not just something that Peter believed. This was something that Peter saw and experienced. Remember, he had a dream, and in the dream, God showed him that Jews and Gentiles were the same, and that by faith, we shouldn't show favoritism to one person or another. In fact, Peter goes on to say, he, meaning God, made no distinction between them and us, between the Jews and the Gentiles, the us and them mentality. He's saying God has done away with that. Why? For he cleansed their hearts through following the law of Moses. Is that what it says? No. Oh, well, and he cleansed their hearts through the act of circumcision. Is that what it says? No. He said he cleansed their hearts through faith. You see, this was the issue. And so then he turns to the Pharisees, the, these teachers of the law, and he says, so why are you now challenging God? Get, I mean, he is calling them out. He's like, no, no, you aren't just messing with people's minds here. You are challenging God himself and his truth. 
you are challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke, catch this, that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. A yoke was a heavy wooden object that tied two, two animals together for the purpose of doing work, but it was heavy. It was a burden. And here Peter says, listen, you teachers of the law, you are placing a yoke, a heavy burden upon the Gentile believers. What was the burden? It was that they needed to follow the Mosaic law still and that they needed to be circumcised. And he says, this was a yoke that you and our ancestors were never even able to bear in the first place. It's like Peter's looking at them saying, hey, listen, you rule followers that are trying to push your extra rules on these Gentile believers, you're asking them to do something that you darn well know none of us are able to do. And then he goes on. He says, we believe that we are all saved in the same way by the undeserved grace of our Lord Jesus. He was saying, listen, the way to heaven, the way to God, the way to be made right with God, it happens the same way for every person, no matter who you are, Jew or Gentile, religious, irreligious, totally messed up or clean cut. It's all by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Well, then Barnabas and Paul, they stood up amongst the, that council to speak. And they, they continued, it says, to tell about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done through them amongst the Gentiles. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was like the Jew of Jews. Like, he said, you know, if anybody had reason to boast, I would have the most reasons. Because I followed the law to a T. That was who Paul was before he met Jesus. And perhaps even in this moment, Paul shared with them some of what he wrote to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Well, catch this. Paul says, For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit to being circumcised or uncircumcised. He said, What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Paul, a Jew of the Jews who had followed the law, you know, maybe better than anybody else, says, Listen, none of that matters. What matters is faith. Faith alone, living itself out with love. Well, then it says James stood up. And James was probably the president of this council gathering, kind of like the lead in charge of pulling everything together. And he makes a declaration. It says, when they had finished, James stood up and he said, Brothers, listen to me. He said, Peter has told you about the time that God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And the conversion of the Gentiles, he says, is exactly what the prophets predicted. And then he takes in the next two verses and quotes the book of Amos, prophecies that showed that God wasn't just interested in the Jewish people, that he was going to share his good news with people from all walks of life, including the Gentiles. And then James makes his judgment call. He says, so my judgment is this. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. In essence, what he was saying is, 
all they have to do is turn to God. <laughs> Let's not make it more difficult than it needs to be. Let's not burden people with things that they have to do in order to somehow make their way to God. So really, this council, it, it was answering the question, how is a person saved? How is a person truly made right with God? And when you look at the responses of Peter and of Paul and Barnabas and Paul's other teachings elsewhere to the churches and James' proclamation here at the end of this council gathering, they were answering that question. And so if you're here even this weekend and you're kind of exploring faith or unsure of faith or maybe like some of this is even messing with some of the theology or religion that you grew up with, here's, I think, the answer to the question really given at the council at Jerusalem. How is somebody saved, made right with God? By grace alone. Grace is a gift. It's free. It's not something that we can earn. It's not something that we work for. I, I'll never forget speaking within the first couple of weeks that I was at the chapel, and a, a young woman came into the office um, from another faith, and she said, I said, well, do you, do you feel confident in your, in your salvation? Like, do you know Jesus? She goes, well, I'm not sure. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I just feel like my religion, it teaches me that like, we're all on a pathway. I said, okay, that sounds pretty good. We're on a pathway. And he, she said, and the, the pathway is leading home to God, home to heaven. I said, okay. I mean, I think there could be some truth to that. And she goes, she goes and, and the thing is, though, I'm the one that has to make the pathway. And it's like I'm working so hard. And I just keep putting another stone and another brick and it's like I'm having to work so hard to hopefully get there someday. And she was, she was missing what the council at Jerusalem was so clearly enunciating that it's by God's grace alone. And it's through faith alone. It's not by something that we do. It's, it's by a, a choice of our will Choosing to turn to God from ourself and from our sins by faith, through faith. That's how a person is made right with God, in Christ and in Christ alone. Not with following some rule. Listen, even the Bible itself says about the law that the law was never meant to get us to God. The law was meant to show us that we needed a Savior who would get us to God. That was the purpose of the law, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period, nothing else. So as we close our time together, how should the council of Jerusalem affect us? I think it should cause us to just rest, to remember that if, if we put our faith in Jesus, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then we can rest. We don't have to pave our way to heaven. We don't have to work our way to Jesus. We don't have to 
try to gain God's approval by keeping it together and being good all the time. It doesn't mean that we should just be bad all the time. It means that we don't have to be good in order for God to love us and to accept his grace and mercy into our lives and to rest, to stop striving, to not feel like, oh, I better show up at church, you know, because What's God going to think about me if I don't? It's like, like Pastor Charles and I will be at grocery stores and, you know, we'll see somebody. And, you know, it's always like, hey, Pastor Charles, hey, Pastor. Oh, I'm, hey, we're going to be back real soon. I'm so sorry we've missed. I'm like, listen, you, you haven't offended me. And coming here, coming here is not what's going to get you there. It's who your faith is in. Is it in Jesus in Jesus alone, or is it in your, your good actions or your church attendance or you, you got involved or you said, oh, I'll, I'll help out at Love Norwalk? Listen, I hope that those things are motivated not, listen, not to earn God's approval, but because you know that you already have his approval. Because that, you guys, it changes everything. So what does the Council of Trent tell us? It says that we should rest. And secondly, it tells us that we should love. Remember what Paul said to the Galatians? What is important is faith expressing itself through love. And at this council, they would go on to discuss how they could do that. And it even meant, like with Jews and Gentiles, not not having to follow the law, but sometimes choosing to do things that you didn't have to do for the sake of other people, though, out of love out of respect, out of the freedom that we have in Jesus. So I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. Maybe you're like me and you've grown up all all along thinking, as long as the good outweighs the bad, hopefully I'll make it. And I'm here to tell you today, there's no amount of good that you or I could ever do to, to make it. All we have to do is say thank you. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry for thinking that I could somehow earn my way to you when you've loved me all along. You loved me so much that you gave your life away on the cross. You paid for all my mistakes. You paid for my sins because I could never follow all the rules perfectly. And it's out of that heart that I say thank you. And I put my faith, my hope, my trust in you, and I rest I rest, not in what I can do, but in what you have already done for me. And then we choose to love. We love and we respect each other. Listen, we can have all kinds of different ideas about all the side issues and politics. and When it comes to the core of the faith, this is what holds us together. And everything else, we can love each other through. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your truth. I pray that you would empower us to rest in your grace, but that that very grace now would be the motivating factor that pushes us forward to follow you all the days of our life and to live in love because we have first experienced it from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great rest of your weekend. Go grab your kiddos.